each Sunday as we come into this place and we stand back and I do a mic check and I read, hit a home run, reach your goals, be on the ball, dance on, and other things that are on the walls. And oftentimes we have decorations of various things that are on the stage. We think about all of the people that set up and tear down from the chairs and the trailers to the altar gill to sound to just everything it takes to put a service on. We had a turning point in March of this year as we launched a capital campaign with the goal of getting our own worship space, a home, a home for our congregation, a home that we would reach out to our community, a campaign called Rooted to Reach, putting down roots in order to reach out. But I want you to know that the waiting for that building started about six years ago for me. From, from almost the moment that in prayer, we came to the conclusion as Aaron and I sat in the backyard of our home, this was three or four homes ago, <laughs> as we sat in the backyard of that home and we said, what's God calling us to do? We're called to go plant a church. And almost from that moment, I can remember beginning as I'm driving and I would see open land and I would think, what about there? There could be a church there. Or, or, Ooh, what about there? You know, and half the time my wife would be like, we're in Dallas, like downtown. What are you talking about? I just, land started, I'd see land and I'd think, there could be a, that could be a space. This has been a waiting for me and probably for many of the folks who first started with us and those who joined early on and perhaps no matter where you are along the way, you've been thinking about this as you joined, especially if you're on the takedown and setup team. <laughs> it's like on the forefront of your mind every Sunday. But the waiting, and it's long term. I mean, this isn't like, I mean, there are certain things that we wait for that you know, like you, in a week or two, this will be done. In a month, maybe it'll be done. But then there's those things that are long. It's the long waiting. This morning, we want to talk about the long waiting because we want to talk about a guy named Simeon and he is waiting for the consolation of Israel that is not a short-term wait think about some of the things in your life that you're waiting for that are like out there somewhere anything from you know I, I told you two weeks ago I'm really, really not trying to rush my child's growing up because I'm watching three of them that have grown up so quickly that now I've got this little baby and I'm trying, I'm not trying to rush it. But I am still thinking about the times when I can sleep all night. <laughs> I'm thinking about the year, two, three, however long it's gonna take, at some point it's gonna happen, I think. I hope, for the baby's sake. I'm gonna sleep. You could be thinking about maybe your children and when they fully grow up and you wonder, will they be serving the Lord? 
But where will they be? What will they be doing? Will they be good citizens? What's going to happen to my kids? Like, long term. Maybe there's something in your life right now. Maybe there is a, a physical ailment. Maybe there's something that, like, it's not going to be fixed this side of eternity. And so your wait is until eternity. Like, there's a waiting there. But we have longer-term waits in our life. Maybe it's a job. Maybe there's a job that you're waiting on or maybe that you're in and you want to see the next thing. But the longer-term waiting, how do we do that? Open up your Bible, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are starting in verse 25. What is it exactly that Simeon is waiting for? Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem. Just a man. Um, There's no indication in the text, even though occasionally in the history of the church we have portrayed him as a priest, he is likely just a man. Not a priest, not a Levite, not a religious leader. He's a man. He's like any other guy in this church. He's living in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. I'm going to oversimplify this just for the sake of time. He did the right things, and he sought after the Lord. He was righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. All right, that is language that reflects Isaiah 40, that starts off comfort comfort my people Jerusalem and it's all about the time when there's going to be peace it's the time when Messiah is going to come and make everything right that's what he's waiting for our equivalent you could think of today is exactly what they were waiting for except we're waiting for what the second coming of Christ we are waiting for God to return and to make everything right to get rid of all the pain and the sickness and the hurt and everything that we struggle with and to make a new heavens and a new earth. Resurrection bodies, completely redeemed. But boy, I don't know about you, but we've been waiting 2,000 years. It may happen tomorrow, but I'll tell you what, it still feels like it's way out there. I guarantee it felt like that for them. They're waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, he has a second thing he's waiting for. They're connected. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here's the second thing he's waiting for. He got a vision, or he heard the Lord say to him, or in some way God communicated that he would not die, which makes most people think he's probably an older man. Like it could be at any point, but he, it won't happen until he sees the Lord's Christ. That's all he gets, though. He doesn't know what that's going to look like, although you can imagine in a Jewish mindset what it might look like. The conquering king who's finally going to bring comfort and peace to Jerusalem, who's finally going to rescue the Jewish people. He's going to see that before he passes, but he's waiting on it. And he has no idea how long he's going to wait. Waiting. Think about your long-term waiting. 
And I want to ask you right now, before we move on, try to get something in your mind. I can't imagine not everybody in this room, there isn't something that you're waiting on. Something that is six months down the road, a year down the road, two or three years down the road. Something that may fit the characteristics of his because here's what Simeon doesn't know. Simeon doesn't really know what this is gonna look like. He doesn't know how it's going to happen. There's a lot of unknown in his waiting. What kind of unknown is in your waiting? What are the things that you don't really have specific answers for? And really, you can't force. Like you can't make it happen. Here's the thing I know. I cannot make a building happen. I mean, I guess I could go on some empty land and I could start building something, but not only would I get kicked off of the land for trespassing, but you wouldn't want to be in the structure that I built. It's just not something, and I don't have the money. I can't just like, I could write a check, but it would bounce. Like, there's just, I can't force this. What are you waiting on that you, you can't make it happen? You just have to go through it. That's where Simeon's at. He just has to go through it and see what God is gonna do. So the question is, how does he go through it? And how can we go through it? Whatever waiting you're in right now, whatever that long-term waiting is, what do you do in that waiting? What do you do to not just focus on the fact that, guess what we have to do next Sunday morning? We have to come in and set up again. We gotta come in and it's the same building. What do we do? Let me tell you what Simeon did. He practiced obedience. Instead of focusing on what he couldn't control, instead of focusing on the things that there's nothing he could really do about, he can't make it go faster, he can't just make it happen, what he could do is he could focus on his own obedience as he waited for the Lord. Here's what it looked like for him. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Okay, so here's Simeon. He's in his home. He's maybe asleep. Maybe he is making breakfast. Uh, maybe he is reading the newspaper. He's doing something. And then the spirit leads him says, go to the temple. And that's where he goes. He's following. He's obeying. That righteous and devout description of him, that's characteristic of his life. But as he's sitting here waiting, wondering, God, when is this going to happen? What are you going to do? How am I going to see this? He's obeying. He's focusing on what he knows, not what he doesn't know, and he's living into it. Even to this point, keep reading. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Even in that moment, it's what has God said? What does God want? Where was God leading me? because he's living and practicing obedience as he waits for this thing that he can't control. 
Now, let me talk for a moment about obedience. I'd like to do so by reading a story that was shared with me this week, um, a story about obedience. So, there was a man, his name is Adam Akers, and Adam Akers did something wrong. I don't actually know what it was because it was never put into the article what he did wrong. But the Richmond police in Washington, in order to find him, they put up his picture on Facebook and said this man was wanted. Now, Akers responded to the Facebook comment, to the police. And he responded and he said, replied, calm down, I'm going to turn myself in. That would be obedience, right? You're wanted by the police. The obedient thing to do, the right thing to do is to turn yourself in. Well, uh, the comment, by the way, got lots of likes. People love the fact that he was going to go turn himself in. However, in spite of the promises, he never made it in. So the police wrote on Facebook again to reply to his reply, Hey, Anthony, we haven't seen you yet. Um, uh, sorry, the, <laughs> I, I lost a quotation mark there for a moment. And we've added a number where you can reach us. We can also pick you up if you need us to. <laughs> Anthony then responded, thank you, tying up a couple of loose ends since I will probably be here for a month. Should, well, it should be there in the next 48 hours. Well, 48 hours later, he was still not there. So the police write this. Dear Anthony, is it us? <laughs> Last Wednesday, we reached out to you with a wanted. You replied and even said you were going to turn yourself in. We waited, but you didn't show. After you stood us up, we reached out again. This time, we offered you a ride. You replied and said you needed 48 hours. The weekend has come and it is gone. We're beginning to think you're not coming. Please call us anytime and we will come to you. So here was Anthony's... Or, uh, Anthony, sorry, Anthony Akers, here was his last reply. Um, <laughs> Dear police, it's not you, it's me. I obviously have commitment issues. I apologize for standing you up, but let me make it up to you. I will be there no later than lunchtime tomorrow. I know you have no reason to believe me after what I did to you, but I promise that if I don't make it on my own, I will call for a ride so you can assist me with my commitment issues. Thank you in advance to your response if you are patiently giving me another chance. I know I don't deserve it. P.S. You're beautiful. <laughs> and you know what? He showed up the next day. Walked himself to the police station. Showed up. Obedience is more than good motivation. Good motives. Good desires. It's more than the Hallmark card. It's the thought that counts. What you witnessed right there is what I think, at least in my own case, it is how I often see my obedience. Yes, I'm going to do this. And then 24 hours later, I haven't. No, 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 this time I'm going to do it. And then 48 hours later, I haven't. No, 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 this time I'm... Obedience is when we actually do it. Obedience has to be greater than just our motivation. 
It has to be greater than just what we want. It has to actually be stepping into it and doing it. When he obeyed, when Simeon obeyed, I mean, just think, let's rewind for a moment. He's making breakfast, and the Holy Spirit leads him to go to the temple. And Simeon says, okay, I'll do that, and then turns and keeps making breakfast. And then eats his breakfast. Then the Spirit comes on him again and says, you need to go to the temple. Okay, I'll do that. And then he heads off, and he sits down, and he has a cup of coffee. And then he goes and meets a friend. His obedience was doing what he was told to do. Not thinking about doing what he was told to do, but actually doing what he was told to do. That is obedience. And here's the thing. Obedience matters. I mean, it really matters. Maybe not for the reasons you might think, but obedience really matters. Number one, you might say this, obedience matters because it's God, right? If God tells you to do something, what are you supposed to do? Do it. Yeah. I mean, that's one reason. There's another reason. You know, in John 14, Jesus says, if you obey my commandments, then you love me? Did you know that our one main expression of love for God is to obey his commandments? It's the only connection we see in Scripture. That's how we love him, is by obeying, obeying his commands. But I want to show you something else. Take those two. I want to show you something else from this text. Here's why obedience matters so much. Obedience puts us in the right place. It gives us the right heart. It gives us the right vision. Um, We were looking at a picture on our wall yesterday um, because it's only got three of our kids on it. And like one of them is two, and now he's five, and we have four. And like that picture's so out of date. It's a beautiful picture. And Aaron goes, we gotta get some more family pictures. Like, yeah, we do. Like, we're way behind here. But that picture, part of the reason it's so beautiful is because of the people who took the picture. They were, they're really good. I mean, they can make any family, even ours, just look amazing. It really, they're really good at what they do. And part of the way that they do it is they have various lenses for their cameras. Lenses that allow you to see what is really there, even when maybe the light is too bright, and if you didn't have the lens, it would, it would wash it out. Or maybe it was a little too dark, and you wouldn't see details, or maybe it's too windy, or maybe there's sand being blown about. I mean, there's all kinds of, there's these lenses on cameras that allow you to see what is reality as opposed to what the environment is making something look like. What I wanna tell you is that our obedience or our disobedience is a little bit like a camera lens. When you are living in obedience, you are more likely to see things the way God sees them. When you are living in disobedience, you are more likely to see things the way you see them. Look what happened in this chapter. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now I want you to notice something. They weren't coming to see Simeon. 
You know that? That was not what they got up to do. Okay, this is the 40th day since Jesus' birth. They are, by the way, Joseph and Mary, if we went back to the top, they are obeying the law, is what they're doing. They're obeying Exodus and they're obeying Leviticus. They're doing two things. They're bringing their firstborn child. According to Exodus, you've got to bring your firstborn child and then redeem your firstborn child. They're actually not going to redeem him. They're coming to commit him to the Lord. And then Mary, because of the birth, she had to go a certain number of days and then she has to be cleansed. That's the purification. They're doing both of those things. They are not coming to see Simeon. Simeon shouldn't even be there. The reason he's there is because he was obedient. And guess what? The reason they're there is because they were being obedient. They would not even be in the temple on that day if it wasn't for that. They are there because they're following the law. This beautiful moment that we have recorded in Scripture is only possible because two different parties were doing what God had asked them to do, and he brought them together. Now, it also allowed them to see something because I can tell you what, here comes Mary and Joseph. They got the baby. They're bringing him in. They're going to be dedicated. They're going to find a priest. Here comes this old man. They're probably in the court of women because Mary is with them. Here comes this old man who just walks up to them and takes their baby. <laughs> what mom does that? Both of these folks are living in obedience and they're seeing what the Spirit of God is doing. And in both cases, they're, they're this, this kind of like thing that comes out of the blue that, that doesn't, shouldn't be happening, it's happening. How many times has God done something in your life that really shouldn't have happened? And I can tell you that we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some families that met in a living room to pray about planning a church. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some friends who encouraged us, yes, you need to go plant a church. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some families who also obeyed, who prayed and said, God, do you want us to go too? And they went. And they gave of their finances, of their time, of their energy, of their talents. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. I guarantee you this was not the plan I had for my life. If I was marching forward in my plans only, this wouldn't happen. And as we've walked through this journey together, as people have come in year one and year two and year three and year four and year five, and they've joined and they're following God now in this particular way, and they're contributing to what is happening at Redemption Church. We're following what God is doing because we're walking with him. When you walk with God, you are more likely to see what God is doing. You're more likely to be open to what God is doing. But when you are living in disobedience, hey, you all know the story of Jonah, right? I mean, we've been hearing it since early Sunday school. You've heard the story of Jonah, right? In a nutshell, this is the story of Jonah. I'm gonna disobey God. I don't wanna do what he wants to do, and so I'm gonna run as far away as I can. God gets his attention. Serious way gets his attention, threatens his life. Jonah says, all right, fine, I'll do it. But here's the thing. In chapter three, when Jonah goes out and preaches, he is not doing this. Oh, 
the Lord wants to save all of you. Please just repent. God is so good. He is so loving. If you would just turn to him, he will save you. What Jonah's doing, he's like, repent in 40 days. God's going to kill everybody. Did I get it? Okay, that's good enough. Even that, he really is living in disobedience. It's half obedience. I will go do it, stomping my feet because God wanted me to do it. But I don't like it. I don't care about it. I don't want this to happen. And then you see the result in chapter four. In Jonah's disobedience, all he could see were bad people not getting what they deserved. If he had been living in obedience, what he might have seen is the great and amazing love and mercy and grace of Almighty God that could take a sinner and transform him or her, even in the way he had been wanting to do to Jonah. But living in disobedience to God doesn't allow you to see the vision that God has. You have a totally different lens on your camera. You're seeing what you want to see. You're seeing what affects you, not what God is looking for, not what God is doing, not what God is. The right lens. It's why Jesus says those famous words in John chapter eight. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But they begin with, if you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, if you are following me, if you're doing the truth, then you are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth without doing it cannot set you free. In fact, it'll probably just irritate you, make you guilty, make you feel terrible because just knowing the truth is not enough. It's doing the truth that opens the doors. If you abide in my word, then you're my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Our lens, obedience is really important. It matters because it lets us see what God is doing. It lets us be where God wants us to be. And disobedience is the opposite. Simeon waited by practicing obedience. Now, I want to address one last thing when it comes to obedience. Has somebody else's actions ever made you feel better about yourself? Every Saturday, I go and get donuts for my kids. And at least once a month, if not every other week, I feel slightly guilty. Right? You can talk to my wife um, I am somewhat, not completely, but I am somewhat of a health nut. Once I actually lost the 40 pounds, like I don't want it to come back on, and so I'm somewhat of a health nut. And so about once a month or every other week, when I walk into the donut shop, I think, what am I doing to my kids? Every week I get them one of these fattening donuts. Now, I get one for myself too, but what am I doing? And so I was feeling that way this week, and I got my donuts, and I'm standing there, and I'm checking out, and this family next to me, it's a mom and three boys. And the mom says to one of the boys, no, 
you can only have one donut with a ring because they cost more money. The other donuts can't have rings. Other donuts? That boy picked out three donuts. Three donuts for one boy. Now, not done. Mom, also, he goes, started ordering donut holes. Mom goes, no, 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 I already did that. I ordered 12 of the chocolate-covered donut holes. Those are for you guys, too. And he's carrying one of the Nestle Quick chocolate milk things, which has about the amount of sugar of four candy bars in it. And I went, I'm a good dad. <laughs> I am like single donut dad. This is triple donut mom. Like, I feel good about what I'm doing. Sometimes, right or wrong, other people's actions make us feel a little better about ourselves. And then other times, it gets reversed, right? Because when I look at Simeon, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I mean, this man is described as righteous and devout, and he's moving daily in the Holy Spirit. And God has given him visions of the Messiah. That's my model. Like, how am I supposed to live up to that? I don't know, I possibly can do that. You ever feel that way? You ever read some of the amazing stories in Scripture about what people do and the sacrifices they make, and you just think, I'm inspired, but I don't know how in the world I'm supposed to fulfill that. That's a little of how I feel. I want to talk about obedience for just a moment in this light. Sometimes I don't obey because I just choose not to obey. Anybody else? I want to see a hand. Sometimes I just make a choice. Like I just don't obey because I just didn't want to. Those, we can change those. We can make better choices. We have the power of the Spirit we have the freedom in Christ. We can make better choices. In fact, we can be intentional and prayerful about saying, I'm going to obey. In my waiting and just in my life, I want to start making decisions intentionally that are obedience decisions. Now, on the other hand, have you ever really, really deep down wanted to do the right thing and you still did the wrong thing? You ever really, really wanted to treat somebody differently and yet you still ended up treating them poorly? Do you know that, that sin, whatever it is for you, that keeps coming back in your life and it's like this cycle and each time you go through it, you go, no, 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 no more, I'm not gonna do it again and then you do it again? We still have a sin nature. You are going to battle your sin until eternity because we still have a sin nature. There is still a war going on inside of us, which is not an excuse. Please don't hear me because, again, how many times are we not obeying when we really could? We just choose not to. And even those things that are part of our sin nature, that's part of what sanctification, the growing in holiness is all about. It's overcoming the sin nature, the war that is still within us. I picture that war, and every time I get overly frustrated, this is my picture. 
it's been a while since I've said anything about my dog. And I'm going to say something that is not bad about her. I know that's weird, and you're not going to be able to do about it. But here's the thing with my dog. Every single time somebody comes to the door, she barks as if we're being invaded. Right? Every time somebody opens a car door in front of our house, she barks as if we're being invaded. In fact, every time somebody walks by and looks at our house, she barks as if we're being invaded. And you know what? I have, I've yelled at her, I've tried to comfort her, I've threatened her life, I have like everything. It does not matter. And here's what happens now. She's doing it, I walk toward her. And she knows, she absolutely knows. She's like, oh yeah, I did it again. Because the nature of my dog is to bark. Like it's not even a choice. She's just doing it. And I'm pretty sure if I could sit down with her and have an intelligent conversation and say, dog, that person is no threat. That person that's walking down the street to their own house, they're not invading ours. It's okay. That she would go, oh, okay but we can't get past that. Her nature is to do this, just like our sin nature is still there. We're still broken, we're still hurting. We have all of these things inside of us that still want to respond in ways to situations and to people that we don't want. I don't want you to leave here today thinking that every time that happens, it pulls you away from God that if you don't get that right, you're not gonna see what God is doing. Now I wanna challenge you, these things over here, we need to get them right. Where we're just not obeying because we just don't want to, we need to change that. But these things over here, when you have those reactions, here's the thing we need to all remember. From birth to death, Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He did everything he was supposed to do at every moment, in every relationship. And he did that because we can't. And when he gave his life, I mean, here's the amazing thing in Hebrews. We have a Messiah, a Savior, who lived a perfect life and yet was tempted in every way just as we are. Do you understand what that means? Hebrews says, come to the throne of grace. Come to the throne of grace. When we fall, we don't turn and go, oh, God must hate me now. Oh, I screwed that up. How much further do I have to go back up the ladder to get close to him? No, we go to the throne of grace and we remember that our Savior did everything necessary for this sin. We confess our sin and we ask for help. That's what we have in Jesus. That's what we have this season. Hope, grace, new chances, redemption. The next time you do that thing where you're like, dang it, I did it again. I wish I wouldn't have done this. 
Don't beat yourself up. Turn to Jesus because he went through the temptation and he overcame it and he gave his life. And now he says, here's the throne of grace. Come to me. Let me help you with that so that we can get through it together. Obedience matters because it helps us see what God is doing. But you know what? When we're disobedient, we have a savior. And we need to remember that always. So as you're going through your waiting, think about practicing obedience. As you're going through your life, think about being intentional about living every day, every week, every year, following the Lord to see what he will do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it encourages and inspires us and teaches us. But thank you more than anything else, it reveals to us you. And it shows us your heart. It shows us your love for us. It shows us the great mercy and grace even as you call us to something greater. No excuses, no justifications, but a balance of giving all we have and accepting all you have already done. Lord, take us and mold us that we might live kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen.